Welcome into Locked On Knicks. Alex Wolf and Gavin Shaw here, and it's almost time. The Knicks are almost getting started with their season. We've had an intriguing preseason, and Gavin, in our last batch, or perhaps second to last batch of player previews here, depending on if we do one after the opener, we're going to get into two of the most intriguing battles on the team right now, the backup point guard and the power forward minute distribution. Yeah, we start off talking Obi Toppin and Julius Randle. What did we learn about those two in the preseason? How does it change our perception of how power forward minutes should be distributed? And then Derek Rose, what is the correct usage for him at this point in his career? Can he replicate a success of two years ago? All that and more right now on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. Alright, welcome in to Locked On Knicks. We want to thank you guys for making Locked On Knicks your first listen today and every day, whether you're checking us out on your favorite podcast platform or taking in the sights and sounds on YouTube. We appreciate you making us a part of your daily routine. I'm Alex Wolf. I'm editor-in-chief of Nick's site, The Strickland, which you can find at thestrick.land. He is Gavin Shaw, your play- favorite play-by-play broadcaster's favorite play-by-play broadcaster. Man, it's been a while since I got tripped up on my own line. Uh, and this is Locked On, Nick's, and we are getting into our some of our final player previews here. And Gavin, I think this first one, these two guys are like in, intrinsically linked throughout mm-hmm their Knicks careers, honestly. It's not even just this preseason. Like, Obi Toppin and Julius Randle, it's almost impossible to talk about one without talking about the other right now because one is seen as the impediment to the other by so many people. Like, and it's it goes both ways. Like, there are a lot of, like, you see it on Twitter and stuff. Like, there are a lot of Julius Randle truthers out there that are like, Julius Randle's the best player on the Knicks. We see this in our YouTube comments all the time. Like, you guys are crazy. Like, you know, Julius is the best. Don't be talking about trying to trade him. Don't be talking about trying to reduce his minutes. Like, let him play. He's going to put up the big numbers, blah, blah, blah. And then, of course, there's Obi Toppin, who has shown some of those brilliant flashes on the team. You know, just a couple games ago against Indiana, scored 24 points in 20 minutes, uh, including, you know, a through-the-legs dunk and all kinds of leak-out transition opportunities. Like, is probably the most exciting player on the team uh, as far as a an actualization of pure raw athletic talent and skill set. And uh, it just creates this weird thing where, again, you can't talk about one without talking about the other. I guess this is where I say, Gavin, I'm leaving it up to you. Which one should we talk about first as we talk about these two intrinsically linked players as it pertains to the, the power forward minutes distribution discussion on the eve of the regular season here. Um, I think we, we have to start with Julius Randle because whether or not we like it, um, he is going to be the more important guy to the team this year, right? Like there's no, at, at least at least until the day is traded, which we, we can get into how much of a possibility we think that's going to be. He is going to be the dude. And we can start off by saying that by and large, he had a fantastic preseason. The, the stat that immediately um, leaps off the page to me that I think sums it up 
better than anything else is the fact that he had a 5.4 to one assist to turnover ratio. And that wasn't fluky. That wasn't like you you go look at the box score 10 minutes after the game. You're like, Whoa, he had that many assists and he didn't turn it over. Like you you could, you could see it happening uh, second by second, minute by minute where just time after time he made the right decision and he weaponized his strengths like for good instead of evil. Like it was maybe this is melodramatic, but it, it really was like almost like a Loki's turn in uh, the MCU uh, where you're like, finally, like this guy, this guy's so much potential if he just if he just wanted to do the right thing all the time. Um, and and that's that's kind of how I feel about Julius. Like he's taking um, like mismatches as an opportunity to set someone up and then he's attacking them and scoring at them on them. Excuse me. When a double team doesn't come and it's it's a little bit reminiscent of what he did during the 2021 season but it's even more like like if you, if you put sliders on him like it's, it's even more leaning towards distribution and, and trying to get a teammate going and um jonathan macri i did a who's spoiler or may or may not be a guest on this podcast in the near future um did a good job of pointing this out in his newsletter he had a great one to mitchell robinson the other night against the washington wizards when, when last year like post all-star break. I think it was he had something like one or maybe two assists to Mitchell Robinson. Like, like no one has ignored Mitch more um, than Julius Randall, but now he's even, he's even thrown the ball to him. And, and to me, that was such a good sign of where his head's at. He's had all these quotes about how he was watching Eurobasket over the summer. And he was like, yeah, I like how those guys play. I like the quick passing. I, I, I want to do that. And, and man, you can just see it in his game and it's completely transforming who he is as a player. And what what's beautiful about it to me, Alex is, I think he's realizing that the most fun thing you can do on a basketball court is, is get an assist and, and, and make a quick decision that leads to a bucket and, and prop up your teammates. So in that sense, he's doing everything right. There are just still some real questions on my end about whether he's the future of this team more so than Obi Toppin is. Yeah, because it, it makes you think like if he's going to be taking a step back and he's not going to be doing the things that made him all NBA – in 20 to 21 then where does that leave you like does he could he become a you know a more useful player than Obi Toppin if he's mostly doing a lot of similar things that Obi does like I guess that's sort of the thing and I think as of right now I think where I stand on Randall is like if he keeps embracing this new version of himself like this reinvented Julius Randall that can still do some of the ISO scoring type stuff, but also seems more willing to make the quick pass. Now seems more willing to, uh, you know, set a screen for a teammate now, which has been a huge, a huge blow to his value as a player, particularly last year. I feel like, you know, in, in 20 to 21, like he was ISOing so much and stuff that it was like, all right, well, the ball is always starting in his hands anyway. So does he really need to, you know, set screens that much? But last year when, you know, RJ started, you know, taking more reps with the ball in his hands and, you know, quickly started taking more reps with the ball in his hands. It would have made so much sense for Julius to start going back to screening, which he's so good at, and he wasn't. But, like, you know, so he's, he's going back to doing that, but, you know, what what is that cap is ceiling at now, you know, if that's the player that he's going to be? Or does it really matter? Like, does he have to put up 20, 10, and 5 anymore for him to still be valuable at that point? I would say no. Like, I think... I think I'd be perfectly happy if his numbers were something more like, I don't know, 17, nine and six this year or something like that. You know, like if he's putting up 17 points, nine boards, six assists, but like good efficiency and 
playing a more team-centric brand of ball that's allowing R.J. Barrett to turn into more of like a 24-point-per-game score or something like that. And, you know, allowing Jalen Brunson to take that next step towards being like a 20-point-per-game score, all the while being like that sort of glue piece on offense and hopefully still, you know, holding up a, a really good uh, presence on the defensive end. I I think that's really valuable. And it it makes it difficult then to compare that to Obi because it's like, all right, well, Obi can do a lot of those things and probably do them better. Like, I think that Obi is probably a better role man than Randall, even though Randall is actually a really good role man. But, you know, Obi probably does that better. Obi's definitely a better cutter, but Obi's not, does not have that ability to just break down a, a set defense if he has to in a pinch. You know, like if you give Obi the, the ball on the perimeter and he's got five seconds left on the clock and no obvious pass to make, you're probably going to get a not fantastic shot attempt. Whereas if you have Julius Randle, he can at least generate like a half decent step back three or something that he's capable of taking and making. So there are all these, like all this give and take with them. But I mean, I think the real thing comes down to, and I don't know how many times we have to beat this drum, but like the real solution should just be, they should be allowed to play together once in a while. (laughs) And that would solve so many problems as far as the value of the two of them you know, the fact that they're constantly pitted against one another, if they were just allowed to share the court together from time to time, I think that would solve so many things. Um, I know we've talked about this on a recent show. Like, I I definitely floated this idea, but I think that the path forward for them could be five, six, maybe on a good night, seven minutes per game of them sharing the floor. And I think, I know it's just a preseason sample, but Obi looks like he really put a lot of effort into being a little more of a rim protector during this this offseason. And he's not going to be Mitchell Robinson down there, like gobbling guys up. He's not going to be so intimidating that he scares people away from the paint. But I thought that in this preseason, he showed a really good ability to, to be a reactive rim protector and a reactive shot blocker. And I think that that combined with Randall's like high level of rebounding ability would probably be enough to to play some spot minutes with them, especially when both of them during this whole preseason, preseason were such terrors running the floor the whole time. Yeah, to me, that's that's the key point where if I were to – I've been doing this way too much recently, but if I were to go inside Tibbs' head and, and, and present a rational argument for not playing them together in past years, it's that with how heliocentric Randall was um, last season and even the year before that, it would have been a little bit of a waste because you would have been like, obviously Obi still would have gotten some runouts and like Randall probably would have thrown him some outlets. Guards would have thrown him some outlets. Um, he probably still would have gotten to run a little bit of pick and roll, but I think you're losing some of what makes Obi really good when Randall's on the floor, just because Obi is not going to get some of the touches you'd want him to get. But with the way Randall is operating this preseason, to your point with that pace and that he is sprinting down the court and that he is passing the ball quickly and that, I mean, that, that bucket that I just mentioned that he assisted on to Mitch, that was like a little duck-in for Mitchell Robinson. Obi is going to be quite a bit more deadly on those because he's so much quicker than Mitch is while presenting the same threat to just rise up and, and jam in someone's face around the rim. Like, I, I think those two could have really good chemistry. Obviously, like, the counterpoint is we, we've seen Hartenstein and Obi have really good chemistry, so you're already getting a little bit of that. But what Hartenstein can't do is, is draw a double team the way Julius Randle can. And, and to me, like if you're able to generate switches, like 
this Knicks offense, because the flow has been so much better, has consistently been able to for Julius Randle. And Julius Randle can terrorize them as he has been. He's shooting 60% from two-point range this preseason, and that's because he's getting closer to the rim than I think he ever has at any point in his tenure on the Knicks with a decently spaced floor. And then you have Obi Toppin cutting off of that and saying, like, all right, if you want to go double Julius, like, it's an automatic dunk for Obi. And then if you rotate over and cover that Obi cut, you're giving up a wide-open three-pointer to either Quinton Grimes or Emmanuel Quickly or Derek Rose, all of whom shoot 37% or more from three. Like, you're looking at a really, really, really deadly um, offense. And, Alex, I want to continue this conversation, maybe get a little bit more into the future and um, what this team can do around the trade deadline. All right, Alex, but before we get into all that, we got to tell people the best place to go if they're hiring. Yeah, and that is LinkedIn Jobs. And these days, every new potential hire can feel like a high-stakes wager for your small business. You want to be... 100% certain that you have access to the best qualified candidates available. That's why you have to check LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps find the right people for your team faster and for free. I honestly can't speak as someone that's hiring. We're unfortunately not big enough yet to be hiring into the Locked On Knicks enterprise. However, as a job seeker for my day job, I always find LinkedIn to be the best in class as far as that's concerned, pointing me towards the right jobs for my skill set. And so if you are looking to hire somebody and want your job directed to the right people, LinkedIn Jobs is the best place to go. They're best in class as far as that's concerned. All you have to do is add your job and put the purple hashtag hiring frame on your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you're hiring. And they have simple tools like screening questions that make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience. So you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. And you guys, you know, if you're with a small business, every person counts. It's a, you know, a small, well-oiled machine. You want to finish the year strong and having the right team member might help you do that. That's why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at LinkedIn.com slash LockedOnNBA. That's LinkedIn.com slash LockedOnNBA to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. All right, and we're back, and we want to thank you guys for making Locked On Knicks your first listen today once again, and make sure your second listen is game-to-game NBA every moment across top performances, every result. Locked On game-to-game covers every game from across the NBA with local analysis that only Locked On can deliver. Follow game-to-game on Locked On NBA, available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get podcasts, just like good old Locked On Knicks which we are back to, of course, uh, talking about Obi Toppin and Julius Randle. And Gavin, I, I think, so we were talking a bit about defense and and how they could potentially fit together. We were also talking about just the, those nice complementary skills. Uh, where did you want to take things now? I, I do feel like we'd be remiss if we didn't bring up one really promising Randle stat that came out of the preseason, which was his 5.4 to 1 assist to turnover ratio. Uh, which I think speaks very well for his ability to go out there and and do what you were just talking about as far as finding Obi Toppin on cuts, finding other teammates if Obi opens something up down low by cutting. I mean, I don't know. I uh, Of all the great things that Tibbs did this preseason, and, and like we have to give him props. Like He experimented a lot more than I think he ever has. He threw different lineups out there didn't do straight up hockey shifts as much as he's known to do in the past. 
uh, for all the good that he did, I, I still just, it still bamboozles me that we're having these same discussions. And it almost feels like a pride thing at this point where he was so quick in like interview one of training camp to be like, that's fantasy basketball. That's not how it works on the court. Like as far as Obi and Julius, it almost seems like he's doing it out of spite at this point, because to me, it just feels so obvious that those two should be on the floor together. Yeah. And I just, to me, the frustrating part is just that it wasn't tried during preseason where there's no downside to trying it. And, and look, Tibbs did experiment a little bit in his rotations, but I think it, he, to your point, he was almost looking for answers that he thinks he already has, if that makes sense. Like, he, he was trying out rotations that were, I think, kind of burbling in his head of, like, this might be something I want to use in the regular season. And, it, like, I don't I don't know if it'll end up being a case of confirmation bias because I like some of the lineups he used, like, particularly getting, like, RJ some minutes with the bench. And you, you can see how RJ gets – like his life becomes easier when he gets to work with a little bit more spacing and, and a passing big man, like Isaiah Hartenstein um, on and on and on. Um, but it's like he, to your point, he almost, he's so preemptively ruled it out. He's like, all right, this isn't even something I can test out and maybe be pleasantly surprised by. And been that in his mind, at least like it wasn't enough of a trade-off, like whatever improvement you get offensively for whatever drop-off you get defensively. Sure. But like, give it, 30 minutes in the preseason to be a hundred percent about that. And he decided not to do that. So to your point, I think unless there are lots of injuries, we are not going to see that lineup um, on an individual level before we get into I, like the, what we think the long-term future of the position will be. I really, really liked what we saw from Obi from a fluidity perspective. This is something that uh, our guy Prez, everyone should go follow him on Twitter was talking about today um, in terms of like where he thought Obi improve the most and you can see defensively he's just he's getting lower in his stance and like has a little bit more hip flexibility which I, I know going back to that draft was our big concern about him um and, and just looks a little bit more seamless moving but offensively is where I've really noticed it I mean like Prez highlighted this play too and to me like outside of that like catch and shoot like ATO um three-pointer that he made uh this was the play of the preseason for Obi where he went behind his back like totally ditched um I think it was uh Taylor on, on the Pacers, I want to say, um, like totally ditched him and just like beat him right to the rim, like off of a little hesitation and finished with like an up and under more of that self-creation, I think is what actually could drive the Knicks to eventually trade Julius Randall. Because I think that is the big fear in moving off of Randall that you insert Obi and he does all these good things. But then in the closing minutes of a game where transition opportunities get a little bit more sparse in a playoff situation where those transition opportunities go away a bit, uh, does Obi have as much value in a pure half court setting? And I think that's the argument for keeping Julius Randall. And, and you, you were just talking about this is that he can punish those switches and he can, he's comfortable backing someone down and hitting a double pump fadeaway. And maybe that's something that Obi's working on yet, but I don't think he has the confidence at this point to go to it consistently. And, and yes, it's, it's great if the shot is cleaner and we got kind of mixed data on that in the preseason, but if, if he can't consistently win off the dribble, and, and doesn't really have a bag there. And, and to me, his, his off-the-dribble success will basically be limited to attacking closeouts. Like, even, even with his improvements, I don't really see him as someone who's going to dribble 10 times and, and beat someone to the rim at this point. Um, you have some real questions on if you have enough of that, especially in the starting lineup where it's, it's Brunson and it's RJ and then it's a little bit of Fournier and then, and then you're pretty bereft um, in terms of that ball-handling ability if you take Julius Randle out of that group. So I, I think that is kind of both an area of improvement for Obi, 
but also simultaneously the one thing maybe holding this Knicks team back from saying, all right, even if Randall does play all unselfish, we are willing to move off him because Obi just has a brighter future. Yeah, I guess that that leads right to the the crux of the whole thing, right? And you alluded to it a second ago because I, I feel like I made my uh, I, I you already alluded to it. I, I kind of made my point about Julius and the creation and everything already. But we spent most of the offseason being ready to give up Julius for a bag of chips and just to clear the space. And now it becomes a little harder given the preseason that he just had because it makes you want to believe again. I mean, I'm literally I'm sitting in front of the the like slam cover, you know, of Julius and RJ from two years ago. Like they were the future it, just two years ago. So there's still that attachment, I'm sure, in the front office to Julius as fans, you know, clearly some people are still very attached. And like, I find myself now being like, well, I never wanted to dislike him last year. So if this can work, I kind of want it to. But at the same time, because it didn't work last year and when Obi got a chance, he looked so good. I still also in some ways sort of feel like it might be the right move to just move on from Randall. So I don't know. We're right before the season starting now and this preseason I think has really made things difficult, but where are you standing with that as far as like the future of the position right now? Yeah, I, I'm still of the opinion that if Julius can prop up his value enough that you can trade him for like a second round pick or late first round pick, they should probably do that, but it's contingent on OB, like the, the flashes we've seen from him this preseason they have to solidify themselves during the regular season. He has to shoot 35% or better from three. He has to at least once or twice a game, like get all the way to the rim, like out of like self-creation. And that, that could be in semi-transition. That can be off a closeout, but that has to happen with some kind of consistency. And he has to continue flashing like the passing ability that I, I think we're at least when I saw that as rookie year, that was one of the main things that convinced me he can be special offensively, but, but the ball handling and the shooting are the two big things for moving off of Julius. And the, the biggest variable for me is that again, even Julius playing unselfishly, if he's draining threes, it's hard to put him out there with, um, with Brunson and RJ and Mitch. And you can argue OB's not that different if the shooting is pretty similar but I just think the freneticism he has off the ball brings a different element that replicates some of that spacing that Julius, even when he's playing at his best and most unselfish, is just never really going to bring. Yeah, I, I kind of lean the same way. I think if if you know if you ask me like what do I think the Knicks should do, I still think the answer is eventually you move off of Julius because it's just like unless they prove to be way, way, way better this year then I think we figure, which we haven't really done like a records prediction yet, but I think we probably would both agree. I, th- I would expect them to maybe be around like 42, 43 wins this year, which would constitute like a five to six win improvement on last year, which I think Brunson will lend him lend the team to. But like, you know, if you're, if that's the team that you have, like is Julius going to be on the team that makes a deep playoff run? If it, if it even happens like two, three years from now, like, or do you want to just put Obi into that spot? I guess the other thing is, you know, as far as rehabilitating Julius's value, is there a way that you could potentially rehabilitate his value enough that the next time a Donovan Mitchell comes along that you can use Julius as sort of the, 
the veteran centerpiece of that trade to send to some team and say, hey, here's a player that's still very good. And in fact, if you send him to your team where he can, where you're offloading another star and he can slot in as the new star, that might actually be good for him in a way because he's definitely enjoyed that role in his career. Um, I don't know. It's going to be difficult to to parse. My only hope is that somehow we can live in a world where both Obi and Julius can play together because I think there are going to be many nights like there have been in the past where they're the two best players that touch the floor for the Knicks in a given night. And if that's the case, you got to find a way to play them together because it doesn't make any sense to platoon swap two of, I think any given night, they'll probably easily be two of the five best players to touch the floor for the Knicks. And if that's the case, they should find some time together. Uh, But at any rate, I think we can, I think we can take a moment uh, and come back in a second and talk about Derek Rose and another intriguing uh, positional battle as far as the backup point guard spot where Derek Rose would slot into, as well as if he sort of serves as a barometer for uh, whether if the Knicks are good, should they be playing him more? If they're not as good, should they be playing him less, et cetera, et cetera. We'll talk about that in just a second when we come right back. All right, and we're back to finish up this episode. We're going to talk about Derek Rose now. And uh, Gavin, I alluded to it before we went to break, but, you know, Rose is another one of those interesting players on this team where it's like he clearly has talent, and I really enjoy watching him play, and I loved him on the 2021 team, and yet I still can't help but feel like this is a guy that I don't want to see too much of on this particular Knicks team this year. But uh, just on his his stats real quick, uh, he last year had 12 points, uh, four assists, three boards on 45, 40, 97 splits. Pretty crazy free throw shooting number there. Uh, 18, 6, and 4 per 36. He was 70th percentile in effective field goal percentage uh, in 2021. I pulled that number just because I thought that would be a little more relevant among point guards. He was also 86th percentile that year from three and 98th percentile in non-corner threes that year, which is very good. He shot over 40% on those. He just turned 34 years old. Uh, Gavin, I think the biggest question with Rose right now after the preseason, Tibbs clearly spared him during the four preseason games. I believe he rested one game, and all the rest of the games he played like maybe 10 minutes, if that, Uh, but – has spoken more as if he is still going to be playing the role that he played a couple years ago. And that this was all just an effort to kind of let him ease back in after, you know, not getting to play a lot of last year, thanks to that bone spur and then the staff infection and all that stuff. So the big question is, is he the primary point guard off the bench or is quickly? I think they're both going to get chances on the ball, but I do think it's Derek Rose and I don't think that'll manifest obviously will manifest itself as it did early in his Chicago career. I don't think it'll even be quite as ball dominant as it was um, his first season with the Knicks. But I think if he's in the game, like he's still Derek Rose. Right. And honestly, by like just the metric of how well he's played, like he deserves to be the guy on the ball over Emmanuel quickly. Like we've said it again and again, but it's worth reemphasizing. Like he was the best part of, one of the three or four best five man units in basketball during that 2021 season. Like you, you, and, and the other guys in that unit were like two rookies um, and Nerland's Noel, who's having a career season, but was still Nerland's Noel. Like is, isn't, isn't like an all-star, isn't an all NBA type player. Like 
that was all driven by D Rose and watching him this preseason again, it's still super small sample size, but it, it kind of looks to me like he hasn't really fallen off much from that and, and him losing weight this off season. And we, we talked a lot during that season about his stretching routine and how far ahead of the game he is with that. Like it, it seems like, Again, early, early sample size. And, and and maybe the biggest factor isn't how good he is when he's on the court, but just how often he can be on the court. But it seems like if he's going to be roughly that guy again, and this team's stated goal, not just their stated goal, their obvious goal is to win as many games as possible. Like whether we like it or not, relative to maybe getting Emmanuel quickly a little bit more reps in, in the interest of his development, um, whether we like it or not, like Rose should be the guy if your goal is to win basketball games, because there's still a world where he's one of the three best players on this team. Like it could be Brunson, RJ and him very, very easily. Maybe, maybe Mitch and Julius poke their way into that discussion as well. Um, I'm curious if he's even going to get a bigger role than we think and, and be the guy who's finishing games next to Jalen Brunson at the two guard spot and, and knock off a of Grimes and knock off a of Fournier because he's just, he's that good. Um, and I'm, I'm curious to see how he looks in the starting lineup, but Alex, what do you, what do you think about all that? And do you think it's to Emmanuel quickly's, detriment that he's losing some of those reps to Derrick Rose or, or do you think we could see a career year from him when you combine the skill gains that he's had with someone else to take a little bit of that load off and a little bit of that attention away when we saw the bench unit really struggle to score when Rose wasn't in this preseason I think if we need a good analogy to what you're talking about it's almost like Derrick Rose is like the training wheels for Emmanuel quickly and and even Obi Toppin to a degree you know and and as it pertains to Obi potentially creating for himself or whatever being trusted with that in that second unit. And I, I don't know. I go back and forth because in theory, I want to see IQ getting more minutes as the, the main guy, you know, as the, the primary ball handler, bringing the ball down and getting things set up. You could in theory, even do that with Derek Rose out there, who's proved to be a pretty good spot up threat at this point. But to your point at his best, Derek Rose is probably better right this second at organizing the offense at breaking down the defense at, making those, you know, quick kick out passes out of the the paint or whatever, especially finishing in the paint. Derek Rose is like miles ahead of quickly at this particular moment. So in that regard, I'm like, oh, I want quickly to have more. But in in another sense, like there's a very easy uh uh what's the word I'm looking for? Like mirror image sort of 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 quickly right on this roster that they just signed in Jalen Brunson where it's not a one-to-one comparison, obviously, like their skills differ to some degree, but I was just raving the other day after that last preseason game about how good Jalen Brunson is off the ball. And he developed those skills by playing off of a dominant player for the first four years of his career in Luka Doncic, who handled the ball most of the time and, you know, made it so that Brunson was, you know, having to learn how to, find the right places to be on offense, even if he didn't have the ball in his hands. And I think quickly is pretty good at that already. Certainly he can refine that skill set more. And as we're seeing with Brunson, that pays off huge because then if you, if you put it all together with generating your own offense and everything, but you still have all those skills of knowing where to be, if you don't have the ball, all of a sudden you're like probably the most useful player on the court because there's never a moment where you're not useful out there you know, where you're not doing something that helps the team, whether it's just being in the right place to space the floor, whether it's handling the ball and break down the defense yourself, whether it's, you know, making the quick swing pass or 
the quick read to look inside and see a cutter when you get the ball on the perimeter. I mean, those are all the things that Brunson does that made him all that money. So quickly is in his third out of four years, like at this point in Jalen Brunson's career, he hadn't put up anything close to the Jalen Brunson of today either. And was still sort of learning to play off of Luca was still playing off the bench in a limited capacity. And his third year was when he started to kind of take that step forward before his fourth year, he like fully went crazy. So I don't know. I, another one of those really difficult questions where I, I feel like it's all going to depend on basically how the Knicks are doing, but if they're, if they're playing really well and it looks like playoffs are in the picture, especially if they're like really surprising and it looks like, Oh, they might be like actually like a top six seed and avoid the play in at that point. I, I think I would just be like, yeah, I mean, Derek Rose should get like 20, 25 minutes a game then and just play for it because as much as we want to talk about development and stuff, what do you develop for? You develop to eventually make the playoffs and get better. And if that's what's happening and, and quickly isn't seizing that role from Derek Rose by playing so well in it and still needs a little time to develop, give it, give it another season, give him spot reps with that, but don't make him the, the primary guy. But if the Knicks aren't playing well, I think it would be wise to, uh, or, you know, if, if overall the, the team just, you know, the record's not good, whatever. It doesn't seem like they have much to play for. I think it would be valuable to get quickly in there and get him more reps as the primary instead of Derrick Rose. Yeah, and I think the the other interesting conundrum that'll come up is if Rose is healthy and he roughly maintains the level of play we saw from him in 2021, I mean, he, he's going to be worth a late first-round pick for a contender. And for the Knicks, that brings up a very interesting question. Like as a team that we just had Ian Begley come on here and say that he thinks they're going to trade for an all-star um, next offseason, or, or at least he thinks it's more likely than not that they do. And, and that's certainly still the number one goal of this regime. In a trade like that, Derek Rose's or, or our first round pick, excuse me, is obviously no matter how late is more valuable than Derek Rose because the team that's tanking is, is never going to want Derek Rose, even if it's to move him on to another team. And you can question at 35 if Rose, like maybe that'll be the tipping point where Rose no longer commands that same value. All that is to say, um, it, it's sort of a, a moment of truth for this front office. Do you value like maybe the three or four extra regular season wins Rose would get you down the stretch? Do you value the maybe game? maybe two games even in the playoffs you win with Derrick Rose that you wouldn't win without him? Or do you value having that extra chip for a potential star trade or just the first round pick to make, given that this team has nailed first round picks throughout the entirety of the Leon Rose regime? I don't know the answer to that, but to me, that'll be the conversations that are happening around all-star break. 